Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Thursday, December 22, uh, 2022, getting towards the end of the year. We've been doing some wrap-up shows, a lot of stuff on tech, tech in Silicon Valley. Tech in China, innovation. We haven't talked, though, about tech uh, outside China and Silicon Valley, particularly in India. We did a show in the summer with Samit Basu, a, a dystopian science fiction writer, has a new book out, The City Inside, in which he warns that um, India, rather than China or the United States, represents the most chilling version of our high-tech dystopian future. I'm not sure my guest today on the show would agree. Uh, Vivek Wadwa is an old friend and a many-time guest on Keenon. He's the author of a number of books and a man who spends his time, I think, between India and Silicon Valley. Uh, he has an interesting piece, recent piece from August in Fortune, on how India could single-handedly shape the future of e-commerce. Another piece about how um, India is leaping ahead of Silicon Valley with Silicon Valley focusing or fantasizing about Web3, which hasn't been particularly realizable. He's also warned that Indian electric cars will eat uh, Tesla's lunch. He's not a big fan of Elon Musk. We'll talk about that later in our conversation. And he also uh, got interviewed an interesting piece recently for Fortune about how Indians are taking over corporate America. Uh, Vivek is joining us uh, from uh, his home in Belmont in Silicon Valley. Vivek, welcome. Hey, good to be talking to you after so long, my friend. Uh, you shuttle, if that's the right word, Vivek, between India and Silicon Valley. Uh, what's your take on um, the, the way in which India seems to be in some ways overtaking Silicon Valley. In terms of 2022, I mentioned these pieces that you've written for Fortune about innovation in India and perhaps India out-innovating Silicon Valley. Is that a fair assessment of your take on tech in 2022? Andrew, Silicon Valley still rules the world. There's no second to Silicon Valley. Uh, so, you know, there's no... I, I don't see India overtaking Silicon Valley. I see it leading in certain areas. For example, in digital commerce, um, in terms of digital currencies, India now is the largest uh, you know, player in digital currencies in the world. That uh, I mean, within three years, they've gone from uh, you know, completely being left out of the digital economy now to running on it. I mean, I've, I've made several trips to India over the last two or three years. And last trip, I felt handicapped. I felt left out because I didn't have... Uh, I, um, access to UPI, un the Unified Payments Interface, to make payments because even beggars in India now want to get paid on UPI codes. It's that, you know, I'm exaggerating a little bit over here, but everywhere you go, they're, they're now transacting on digital commerce. Here, we're stuck with these old-fashioned 50-year-old credit cards. I mean, you've got to have this you know, piece of plastic with you with a metallic strip on it. And it goes through this pathetic process of of going through a card reader, and then you have middlemen that skim two or three percent, or either that, uh, yeah. Vivek, or fantasizing on crypto. Uh, the news exactly today: Sam Bankman-Fried is now 
been released on $250 million bond. He'll be staying with his parents up the road from you in Palo Alto. So it's... Yeah. Um, and then so fantasizing so about Bitcoin well. and blockchains and all this other crap that these VCs throw billions of dollars into. And then they hype the heck out of it because they had conveniently just happened to cash out before the entire market crashed and everyone else got lo- left holding the bag. So while, you know, uh, Silicon Valley has been... Uh, uh, dreaming about digital currencies and how crypto is going to take over the world, India went and did it. And what did they do? They implemented a very simple system by which you will, everyone, I mean, they, first the Indian government gave everyone bank accounts. Uh, everyone, the poorest of the poor got bank accounts with some money in them. So they're, they're now uh, doing all, you know, the majority of social welfare directly from government to, to, uh, uh, to the individual. So that there are no middlemen over there. And then they went to the banks and said, okay, uh, we're going to run a system which tells you to transfer money from point A to point B. It's, it's, it's as simple as sending an SMS from your bank account to the recipient. It's done. No middlemen, no overhead, instant. No blockchains, none of this crap that the Silicon Valley venture capitalists have been you know, going on about for the last 15 years or so. It just happens. And already in the trillions of dollars, uh, the, uh, you know, the economy of India is is is, is transacting in digital currencies. So, like I said, to the point that I go from Silicon Valley to India. This is what happened a few months ago, and I'm left out. I mean, I'm, I got a big problem because I can't do UPI payments because I don't have an Indian bank account because I'm not an Indian citizen because I'm not part of their network. So therefore, it's very hard for me to manage over there. This is something they didn't think about. I don't think they expected things to move as fast as they did, but they did. And India now rules the world in digital currency. Which is a pretty big deal. Um, You you noted that Silicon Valley has fantasized about Web3. Um, We don't hear about Web3 anymore. uh, It was yet another fad. I mean, uh, they hyped the heck out of it, invested billions of dollars, cashed out. So all of these VCs who've been hyping it, conveniently they've cashed out of all of this stuff. They've cashed out of Bitcoin at the right, just at the right time before everyone else lost their shirts. And now they go on to the next fad. It'll be Web 7.6 that comes up or God knows what else. Uh, that's the way Silicon Valley works. And this is, uh, uh, I mean, this is a lesson in what not to do. You, uh, you came on the show this summer talking about um, your critique of, of Elon Musk suggesting that he should stop wasting his billions of dollars on Twitter and invest them in curing cancer. I think that warning is even more relevant today. Yep. Yep. I wish uh, you also it. wrote a piece for, for Fortune in the summer suggesting that India's electric cars will eat Tesla's lunch. Um, I actually don't, I have to admit, I don't know much about Indian electric cars. What, what are the brands and, and when will they eat that lunch? No, they're already beginning to, uh, uh, they're, you know, I mean, right now, uh, electric uh, uh, electric scooters, these three-wheeler scooters, um, you know, electric, uh, I mean, you know, the poor go in these um, um, electric vehicles, which take them from, you know, from, uh, from short distances. It's all electric already. Uh, the three-wheel uh, devices also um, are becoming electric. Two-wheelers are becoming electric. Cars, uh, companies such as Mahindra and Tata, uh, uh, they're rolling out beautiful cars which make the Tesla look like uh, it's a 1960s, uh, you know, Ford. You um, love your Tesla, though. You've always been a big fan of the car. I, I it's not been, Elon. But I've been a fan for a decade. My car uh, is the same as it was. I mean, I got my first Tesla in 2012, I think. 
it's exact it, a decade later it's exactly the same in an era of exponential technologies nothing has changed so it's the same exact technology you know uh, in 2016 elon uh, and i exchanged emails and elon so yesterday i buy the new tesla because it'll have fsd full service driving and, and it, I, i said will it i asked his uh, executives will it have all the sensors i need to get fsd they said yes they told me that in writing that was 2016 2022 and i still don't have fsd and now apparently i've got to do all sorts of upgrades to get this fsd they lied to me and and my tesla is exactly the same as it was a decade so, ago so, so i change. take your point um vivek so if indeed you're right on electric cars and you're right about payments at what point does india begin to at least compete with silicon valley if not overtake what what needs to happen in india for india for india to actively aggressively compete with silicon valley uh, andrew i hope it never competes with silicon valley because it'll be competing with these uh, idiots on on sand hill road who throw billions into stupid things i don't want to see them doing that i want to see them doing exactly what they're doing is to build practical applications of these technologies and to uh, you know benefit the masses to benefit a billion people rather than a few million people who happen to be filthy rich who can afford uh, uh, the high end devices and and afford to be part of this uh, you know these scams that they run you've written a lot uh, and thought a lot about medical technology what is happening on that from what do you see in talk- 2022 in india yeah uh, you know, your point about um, uh when you came on the show in june about investing them in curing cancer investing is billions in in curing cancer was a reference i think to what's happening in india on that front too andrew uh, i told you about uh, losing my wife to cancer and yes i what know what we're going now is that i got to cure cancer so i you know with the help of some of the amazing scientists from harvard and mayo and uh, stanford and columbia who helped you tried helping me save her save her i put together a grand plan to cure cancer and it does the opposite of what we do in silicon valley rather than trying to monetize you know cancer and cancer data i said let's get all the genomic data we can and open source it so scientists all over the world have the information necessary to be able to develop cures for cancer let's create the test beds for testing cancer outside the patient rather than making the you know the way the us clinical trial system works is that it's all about testing these drugs on human beings so they can get fda approval they overdose patients they put them through hell and they charge them ridiculous amounts of money just so that they can make more money by getting fda approval and this is what these companies invest in i said no we we now have the technology to to take the to take a, a, a copy of the tumor essentially you do a biopsy of the tumor recreate it in the lab you create 3d organoids and you test medicines on that that won't get you fda approval but that will tell you exactly what drugs will work for that patient including off label drugs there are probably 2 or 300 uh, you know drugs that are off label that cost practically nothing which may have benefit to cancer patients we can test all of those offline so we would never do that in the united states because there's no money in it right the uh, uh, the rich pharma companies don't make any money by prescribing off label label drugs but with 3d organoids you can do that so in india i want to create the test test bed for all of this i want to sequence hundreds of thousands of patients that's exactly what's happening karkinos health k a r k i n o s healthcare you can go to their website and read up about it it's amazing within 3 years 
they're already now um, uh, offering services at 50 hospitals. They have the most advanced genetic sequencing equipment in the world. Uh, they, uh, they have a third of India's uh, you know, medical uh, screening and um, uh, genetic sequencing capacity already. And they're about to transform India's entire cancer care system. Within five years, we're going to have patients going from India, from the United States to India to get cancer care because it's better, it's affordable, and it'll do good for other people by making the data available so, it's, so you know researchers can develop cures for the type of disease that you have. That's what's going on in India. This is why I'm going back again over Christmas. I'm going there for another three weeks. I'm taking the advisory board of Karkanos there, which is my uh, you know friends from, from Harvard and Mayo and so on. And we're going to uh, visit the cancer centers. We're going to brainstorm with the top scientists over there. And then with a bit of luck, this isn't confirmed yet, but we're going to meet the prime minister and propose to him a partnership between the United States and India to cure cancer. Because President Biden, um, he lost his son to uh, cancer. And this is personal to him as well. And uh, one of his uh, associates briefed him on what we're doing in India, and he seems very excited about it. So much so that the head of his cancer moonshot, Danielle Carnival, we had, I had a meeting with her a few weeks ago in, at the White House, and she's very excited about what's happening there. So now I'm trying to bring the pieces together so that the United States and, and India can work together to cure cancer. Because India has the, uh, the people, it has the data, it has the scientists, it has the engineers, the machine learning experts, and it has the will, it has the philanthropists. And this is all being funded by philanthropists. And uh, it's, a, it's a for-profit enterprise, but small profits, but it's all about doing good for the world. We can do this in India. It would be very hard to do this in the United States. Vivek, the latest mania in Silicon Valley, you're mostly critical of these manias, is the latest AI system uh, called uh, ChatGPT, uh, which is um, owned by OpenAI, and there's platforms now which people are using Chat. GPT. What do you make of the AI mania in Silicon Valley uh, in the United States? Is this something that's resonating? Andrew, my, my next article for hopefully Fortune and Hindustan Times, uh, I, I worked on it uh, day before yesterday and I, I sent it to them yesterday and I'm hoping it's going to be published pretty soon, is exactly about that. Because, um, um, you know, I, um, I've been watching it from a distance, watching all the tweets about it and I was very excited about it until my son Vineet uh, about uh, last week, sent me an email which got me really, really upset. Um, he ran a query on ChatGPT3. Um, ChatGPT basically saying, uh, uh, "Tell me something interesting about Vivek Wadhwa and his family." It's it, you know, it created a, a, a bio for me which looked very credible, started very credible, and then it went on about his wife, Ritu, Ritu Wadhwa, and his three children. I was shocked. I mean, you know, you know how how um, uh, you know how devastated I am about the loss, loss of my wife, yes. my and how personal it is to me. I, I literally didn't sleep for two nights because I said, "Oh my so god!" They got her. Uh, excuse my ignorance. On did they get the name wrong or, or what? It made up a fictional wife for me. So I started thinking, "Oh my god, this is what is going to now go on the web. People are going to be reading about a wife that doesn't exist, three children that I don't have." Uh, the question is, wait, and this is someone, some, uh, an AI that everyone believes. Is, I mean, Larry Summers, uh, the former Treasury Secretary, former president of Harvard, talked about this being as consequential as the railroad. And God knows, uh, you know, uh, it just went on and on and how, how this is going to change the world. This is what Silicon Valley has been saying. It's going to change the world. It's complete 
bullshit. I mean, complete inaccurate. So that's how angry I was. I was going to write a flaming negative uh, you know, article saying that this technology needs to be banned. And I was going to send it to Sam Altman and, and you know, tell Sam to go and pound sand. <laughs> but I started using it. Uh, I mean, I got up at four o'clock uh, in the morning yesterday. There was one of the nights I couldn't sleep. I was just so upset about uh, history recording this fictional wife of Vivek Wadwas. So I started using it. And I was blown away that um, when it's right, uh, which is about two thirds of the time, it's amazing. It, it, you know, um, I've had, you're on my private mailing list, Andrew, and you know how frequently I used to write uh, for uh, Washington Post and yeah. a lot of other publications. After losing Tavinder, I haven't been able to write. I mean, uh, I'm so I'm so devastated that I, I can't bring myself to write anymore. This is why you rarely hear from me once a month if you're lucky, um, and it's mostly co-authored articles because I know what I want to say, but I can't say it anymore because. Tavinder used to be my inspiration. She was my guiding light. I mean, uh, she was my muse, whatever you can call her. So what I did, so I had written up some notes for an article I was going to write. I fed it into, into chat GPT and it kept correcting me and improving them. I was blown away with how well it could write. It even accepted the criticism of itself. And it explained uh, that, look, uh, you know, this is just, uh, it, it said that this is just an early technology and uh, I don't have access to the internet. You, uh, you mentioned you're going to, write a note to Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI. Do you, if this is indeed as revolutionary a technology as some people suspect, do you, can we trust Altman and OpenAI? OpenAI, do they need more regulation? We just did a, an interview with three professors at Stanford, uh, Rob Reich, Maren Sahami, and Jeremy Weinstein, the authors of, of System Era. They're suggesting that we can't trust I think uh, the the Altmans of the world, they didn't specifically focus on Altman himself, but using examples like Bankman, Fried and Musk, it suggests that we can't trust these cult-like entrepreneurs. Are you in their camp? Are you? Are you uh, Andrew, uh, you, you're jumping ahead of me. You know, the way the article concluded, I said, look, um, uh, this technology, you know, I, I was very balanced about it. I said what it can do, what it can't do. I, I talked there about the example of Vineet and it talked about, I talked about Ritu and, and the fact that I used it and it came up with another fictional wife for me when I was using it myself. So I said, look, um, uh, on the other hand, it wrote 70% wrote of this article for me. So I, I said, here's what needs to happen. We need to have very tight regulations uh, for this. In other words, we need guardrails. We can't let these uh, com private companies release you know, dangerous technology and not take be liable for the damage it does. Okay, so that's what this article said. And I said that you know, OpenAI, OpenAI was founded to create the guardrails. It was supposed to be the moral and ethical uh, voice of AI. That's what it was a nonprofit. It was founded for. And guess what? As everything else in the Silicon Valley uh, and, and and everything else that Elon Musk and you know his comrades do, um, something that started off as as a do good uh, technology ended up going off track because they made it a for-profit corporation. Now it's all about money, 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 money. So, so what would you like to see um, Vivek in 2023, not just in Silicon Valley, but in India too? What are you looking forward to? What are you excited by next year? They're completely different. In India, uh, you, you know, uh, entrepreneurs taking technologies and using them to uplift humankind. Because I have a couple of other projects. Maybe next uh, discussion we do three or four months from now, I'll tell you about the agriculture green revolution that I'm going to help launch. And we're going to start it in India. And that's, I mean, that'll blow your socks off when I show you the results and the data. Uh, you'll, you'll I be don't wear socks, Fever. All right, then we'll blow your shoes off. Oh, good. <laughs> 
but that's, that's uh, one of the technologies I'm working on. Again, why India? Because India has no legacy infrastructure to protect. It's open-minded because it doesn't have the lawyers and the uh, monopolies that we do over here. I'd like to see India doing more of that. As far as Silicon Valley goes, we need to get our act together here. I mean, look at the way Elon Musk went off the rails. I mean, the guy just, I mean, imploded. I mean, I've been tweeting about this myself saying Elon Musk is self-destructing. And, and the discussion we had last time also was the same, saying that, you know... Elon yeah, I have to admit, when, when we talked in June, I thought you were a little over the top. But actually, over the last six months, you've been proved to be right. I mean, he's, he really goal. is a little insane. Exactly. I mean, I sort of uh, predicted what would happen to the guy. And I've, I've been predicting that he's, he's self-destructing. That's exactly what's happened. Look at the value of Tesla. Half a trillion dollars of value destroyed because of Elon's sheer and utter stupidity, his ego, his drugs... I mean, his recklessness, all right? This is what I've been warning against for the last nine months or so. And I used to call Elon a friend. I used to look up to him. I defended him from the New York Times when I was writing for the Washington Post. I was, you know, uh, uh, his biggest chill, his biggest fanboy for a long time. And over the last few months, I've been warning that this guy is imploding. He's self-destructing and he's going to do a lot of damage. The trouble is that Elon is symptomatic of what happens in Silicon Valley. You saw the same thing with Peter Thiel. Peter Thiel went off the trails, and Peter Thiel used to be a you know a decent human being also, uh, not too long ago. There are a whole bunch of people like that who, and this is what happens that these Silicon Valley uh, you know moguls, they achieve a little bit of success. They start you know uh, getting into their echo chambers. They get into these old boys clubs, uh, you know whether it be in Clubhouse or whether it be in the in the you know uh, the the the, the uh, cocaine filled uh, parties that they have here in Silicon Valley. Whatever it might be, they start getting these echo changes and start believing that they're gods. They develop a god complex and believe they can do no wrong. And then they start getting influenced by, by idiots who they're surrounded with, the people who are sucking up to them, and then they started becoming like them and, and doing stupid things. This happens over and over and over again. I don't want to take names because I'll only be offending more people than I need to, but this is Silicon Valley, and this has to stop. We need to now realize that Silicon Valley isn't this small boys club anymore. It is, you know, looked up to by the rest of the world. We have a moral responsibility here to lead the world and to use our technology for good and not for evil. This is the lesson Silicon Valley needs to learn. And are there any lessons that, as I said, India can learn from Silicon Valley in 2023? India can learn about, uh, you know, new methods of innovation. I have an entire book on that. you know, this book, and I'm going to promote a book on your show again. This yeah. book, Mental to Exponential, talks about the secrets of Silicon Valley. Why, book, uh, why, why do we have trillion dollar companies now? Yeah. Why do we have trillion dollar companies coming out of Silicon Valley? What are the things that Silicon Valley did that gave entrepreneurs an advantage? This is a, a must read for every entrepreneur who wants to build a billion dollar company in a trillion uh, in, or a trillion dollar industry because it walks through the secrets of Silicon Valley. There's a lot to be learned from Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley can be a force for good. There are a lot of wonderful people here. I'm attacking, you know, a handful of people who I see have gone off the rails. The majority of people here are here because they want to impact humanity. They want to do good for the world. They're brilliant people. Silicon Valley brings in the best of the West, best from all over the world. They come here and they, you know, uh, uh, the, the trouble is that all the do-gooders, do, do-gooders don't get funding because you have the group think these cocaine-filled, you know, get-togethers they have where they end up uh, hyping Web3 and God knows what else. 
and and they get group things so they'll only fund web3 companies or some blockchain some crypto nonsense and all the people people who are trying to do good for the world they get left out let's end Vivek on politics um you mentioned Peter Thiel one of the major funders of Trump and Trumpism um, in America you mentioned uh, the uh, the Indian Prime Minister Modi there's been a lot of criticism of him are you in any way troubled with the political dire- direction in India um uh, Andrew, there are issues in India that uh, I, I don't like uh, I'm, I'm not in the right wing I'm, I'm dead center both here and in India so I'm not you know for any of the negative things you read there on the other hand uh, the media you know I wrote an article you should also highlight about the lies that that New York Times and Washington Post have been spreading about Kashmir I went there firsthand a few months ago and I was blown away rather than houseboats sinking and it being like a Palestine and people dying on the streets the economy is booming people are happy it's amazing you know what the misinformation we're getting here so the the book you talked that interview you just talked about with the Sunil character he's another one of these leftists who's out of control over here who's uh, basically living outside india most likely you know being uh, out hated and venom and garbage me on the show together be an interesting exchange absolutely there are a whole bunch of people like that and the trouble is that they're the ones who are dominating the media over here giving you distorted views of the world Yes, there are issues in India. Okay, I'm not defending that, but there are issues here on the extreme left and the extreme right. We have more people dying in our schools every year, every month, almost every week than people in uh, getting you know shot up in Kashmir or anywhere else. So we have a lot to be embarrassed about, to be ashamed about about the United States, where we have lots of problems. So does India. So does the rest of the world. On the other hand, Narendra Modi. Last meeting I had with him in October 2019. I was able to sit down with him. This is the son of a tea seller who, you know, who's portrayed by the US media as being this right-wing fanatic. Complete fucking bullshit, okay? Modi and I could sit down, see eye to eye, and I was talking to him about my grand plan to cure cancer. And you know, he again, uh, he was speaking in Hindi, I was speaking in English. He said, "Look, I understand English very well, but I'm going to speak in Hindi." That's the national side of him, which he's entitled to. Every he has every right to speak in, in Hindi if he wants to. If I was If I didn't understand Hindi, he would have spoken in English with me. But I could sit down with him, see eye to eye, and he was talking about. He said, "You know, what you're talking about, genetic sequencing, that this will also work for sickle cell anemia." I said, "Yes, absolutely." Then he said, "You know, when I went to Japan, I saw this technology which uh, uses light to uh, reduce tumors and to analyze things." I was blown away. Uh, he's dead right. Rakuten Medical um, is developing this, you know, amazing technology which uses light. Uh, ultraviolet uh, light or uh, whatever it might be to treat cancers he knew all that i mean and like i said this he's not a i mean the, the guy is sort of a tea seller i mean he's a guy we accuse of being a right wing not he's more intelligent than any world leader i've ever come across he's more intelligent than any ceo i've come across if you put modi and elon musk together within a few minutes he would make elon musk look like, like a complete idiot that's how smart modi is so you can criticize him you can you know read these bizarre uh, you know uh, articles like the, uh, uh, the the guy you're quoting and you can read the new york times and get a completely distorted view of the world and that is a big problem excellent vivek lovely to talk let's talk when when are you back 